Hey guys, Reed Goosens here. Before we dive into today's episode, just want to give you a bit of a heads up that we had some audio problems when we recorded this episode about six or seven weeks ago. So uh, I want to just let you give you the heads up on that. But if you can put up with the poor audio on my side and on Steve Firestone's side, there is some cracking quality content in today's episode about how to transform under underperforming properties, class C, class D properties, and transform them from them into absolute cash cows. Uh, but just a heads up that the audio is a little bit poor in today's episode. My apologies. Uh, we'll be back to the awesome audio that we have each and every week, but let's get into today's show. We bring investors down to Atlanta and meet with Steve. And as Steve talks through his systems and his policies, that's where you start to find comfort in it because yeah, you're, you are, you're scared when you hear that as an investor and when you're talking to capital, but when you hear the systems in place and how he goes about it and he partners with the police, um, you know, coming in at night, cops out of uniform, night, night goggles, make an arrest, cleaning up the property. It really is a system that, that he knows how to run. Steve does. And he runs it when he has to, um, great relationships with the police, great relationships with his staff. And you hear the, the staff talk and they're so happy to have an owner that's supporting him. You know, a tenant calls up and says a washer, uh, you know, their washer is broken and the maintenance tech actually shows up to fix it the next day and they don't know what to do. They're like, why are you knocking on my door? Well, you called. You said you had a, a broken washer. That kind of change and support for the staff is so drastic that it puts a different tone on the staff, on the tenants. And when we tour that and when we talk to those managers, it's it's one of the feel-good moments. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate, business, and entrepreneurship here in the United States. So you can all make the right investing decisions to create massive amounts of cash flow, which will lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. But knowledge without action means you're just a fence sitter. So be educated first and foremost, listen to my podcast, but go out and take massive amounts of action, and hopefully the cracking guests on this show will inspire you to do so. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter, uh, and you can also leave a review on iTunes. Uh, at re- you can do that at readgoosens.com. You can find this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. Head over to readgoosens.com, click on the video link, and you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my incredible guests. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get into today's show. duo Ben Kelly and Steve Firestone. Ben is partnered with his brother Max and they form multifamilygeeks.com. Ben started buying and selling single family houses in Cincinnati, Ohio and Los Angeles, California. And Ben has been involved in real estate investing since 2006. He's started focusing in multifamily investing in early 2016 and has used his self-directed IRA 
to invest in over 1,200 units in five different markets, working with reputable sponsors and operators to find the best deals. Steve, on the other hand, is the managing partner of Crown Bay Group. Steve grew up in New Jersey, but has spent a significant amount of time in the UK and in London. He's been involved in real estate investing since 1995, and Steve has developed an incredible reputation for repositioning large multifamily complexes in rougher neighborhoods. We'll find out all about this and much, much more, so but enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, guys. Welcome to the show. G'day, Reid. Hey, Reid. How you doing? Thanks good. for having us on. Mate, boys, good to have you here. Um, where are we all dialing in from today, just to do a bit of a round table? Steve, where are you dialing in from? Sure, I'm uh, in Atlanta, in nice. Georgia. Nice. And Ben, yourself? Uh, Redondo Beach, California, Los Angeles. Beautiful. Just down the road, mate, so we have to go for a wave sometime. <laughs> but guys, before we dive into today's show, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to ask a bit of a doozy of a question, and we're going to go one at a time here. But Steve... Who is Steve Firestone? Uh, from a very early age, so he's into either collecting things or uh, thinking of ways to make money to buy stuff. And I'm talking about since I was probably five or six. Uh, and, you know, just things, things as they you know, rolled on from there. Uh, I uh, got involved in those kind of things more and more. I probably, by the time I was 12 years old, already had my own market stall at a, at a big flea market in where we lived in New Jersey. Mowing um, lawns for a living, just about everything possible. When it snows, you shovel snow. Uh, when it's, you know, whatever, whatever's necessary, whatever I have to uh, whatever whatever's necessary to make your first dollar, right, and, and get it and get it done. Absolutely, it was always about the money. And, and again, just to say, I know that, you know that could come up in a green way, but really it wasn't meant that way. It was just my natural progression in life what attracted me, and and I guess my idea of what success was. Right, and that right. Was just making your own money. You know, you could go to school. By the time I was in, uh, you know, even middle school at that time, you know, the sort of seventies, and I always had a hundred dollars in my wallet. That was always my thing, and everybody would think I was crazy. But <laughs> just my feel-good thing, you know. Right, right. And 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 Ben, Ben, what uh, what about yourself, mate? Who is Ben Kelly? Um, you know, from so many different places. Uh, young man of out of Ohio. Uh, taken up in Los Angeles, backgrounds product design, and have found a space and a team uh, with my brother Max, really developing relationships and connecting people. Um, that's really what we think this is all about, and that's been um, kind of where we found ourselves in the space, and we really enjoy it. Nice, nice. Um, so we, we've got you both on today's show to talk a lot about the you know the ins and outs of transitioning rougher properties because you know a lot of people look at different multifamilies it doesn't have to be multifamily it can be single family but they look at neighborhoods and they think wow these this these these are this on paper looks incredible you know the, the, it looks really really good but in reality it can be um challenging to manage you know properties in trend we'll call it transitioning neighborhoods and i think we all know what that means um i remember my first property was in a very you know class d neighborhood it was a triplex and i had a bunch of issues with it but um the reason we got you two on today's show is to talk a lot about the ins and outs of how to successfully manage and then transition the, those properties so steve i'm going to start with you mate um whereabouts are you investing right now and what sort of demographic do you like to invest um in or or, or, to, or rent to i should say we have most the majority of our, our uh, local units are in Atlanta, uh, in the 
mostly in South Atlanta, in the, I guess what you'd call the rougher areas, uh, some might say the up-and-coming areas, but uh, <laughs> definitely not in the already already king place. Um, so uh, it's really workforce housing is what I really like. It's a difficult market because you've got, unfortunately, uh, you know, there's always a handful of people like everything that's spoiled for maybe that particular demographic, and it's really hard to weed it out. Uh, but most of the people, you know, you, some of them are being subsidized, you know, by uh, Section 8 programs um, for various reasons, because obviously they're doing work that is below uh, the cost of living. But hey, without these people, this country ain't going nowhere. You know, can you imagine, you know, you go, go to your local Burger King tomorrow, try to get a burger, it's all boarded up because nobody wants work anymore. Uh, you start to go, hang on a second here. Uh, you know, so it, it's all the people that run the airports, run the fast food, run the malls, run that, you know, uh, you know, construction and, uh, you know, industrial uh, places and plants. And uh, that's really the type of tenants I like. Um, we specialize in trying to make, I know it sounds simple, a lot of people don't seem to be able to do it. We buy the properties we buy, a lot of times off people who couldn't do it. And it's a really simple plan. We do all the deferred maintenance make it clean and tidy, it's safe. And yeah, it's been a learning curve to get it there, but uh, so you know how to do that, but now it's just like a formula. We come in, we do it, we get rid of the crime, we make it safe to live, so that the idea is people don't really want to go anywhere else. They're not going to go across the street to the, the neighboring property, because why would you? You can go to work, come over here, be safe. And, and really, that's the, the main reason that we are successful. And then, of course, the other stuff is more of the financial uh, things, which is, you know, finding the pro right properties at the right prices. I mean, there's some areas, you know, that you can go to in what you're calling bad areas where, you know, we would just go by there just for the hell of it. I mean, we're not, you know, some places you just can't buy it and that uh, you're not going to be able to change the area by changing property. And, uh, you know, that's the sad side of, of that scenario. So I think with our, uh, you know, do-gooder attitude at the same time. We're looking at the rougher areas, which we're, we, we feel comfortable in, but they've still got to have some redeeming quality and look like they are part of, you know, a movement towards uh, the next step in that in that uh, particular location's uh, lifetime. You know, as in there is growth being seen. There's, a, I don't know, whether it's state or, or county money coming in to help revitalize things. Uh, those are really the indicators that we look for. We want to be, we don't mind being at the bottom in there, but, you know, we at least want to be on the cusp of something happening. And right. that's where, you know, we'll inevitably get the reward on the back end. Uh, you know, doing our bit for the help of the growth of the area, and we'll get paid eventually when the growth finally uh, hits. That's, that's incredible. And I think you hit on a few good things. And that was, you know, you're looking for a path of progress, uh, first and foremost, but you're also providing clean, safe, affordable housing um, for the working class community, which is what this country needs and, and what any country needs, to be honest. But Ben, I want to quickly dive over to you, mate. What has attracted you to the space of being in that more lower end, say, class C, class D um, neighborhoods? Is it purely through the fact that they're cheaper to get in, involved in and, and you can make some great returns? Or has there been something else like a more of a philosophical wanting to do what Steve said and create that sort of low-cost affordable housing for people? We've been involved in that space through our association with Steve Firestone, and we've connected a network of uh, investors to Steve 
um, because when he comes in and he does, he runs his plan, it sounds, I mean, he, you hear him talk about it, it sounds simple, but when you meet his managers and you talk to his staff, they really are passionate about bringing, you know, class A service to a, a C-class property. They have this balance of, you know, helping people out and almost, you know, a social worker in one case and still having this, hey, these are the rules. This is how we get them to follow the rules. So that safe, I mean, that safe and clean, it seems like it's, it's easy to talk about. To, but to really make it happen, I think someone has to be really diligent in the way they manage their staff. And that, I mean, Steve is able to do that in that space. So um, that's one of the things that really attracts us to that. No, that's interesting. And talking about the, the diligence. So, Steve, over time, like you could go and, you know, get pay a little bit more uh, price per door for, for something that is maybe a little bit less of a headache for you. Um, so what what sort of systems do you like to put in place when you first take over property to 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 make sure that you know you are getting rid of the riffraff or you are making sure that it's it's completely transitioning and, and it's on a path towards a better progress uh, that's going to ultimately be you know no no drive by shootings no you know uh, drug dens and all that sort of stuff so maybe walk us through some of the the, the checklists that you do when you first enter a property right well some of that stuff is uh, almost impossible to get rid of uh, you just try to keep it as far away from you as you can and then uh, you know, as people like me come in and do up these properties and the tenants get get on board and want to keep it that, that new safe way that you've created or another sponsor, you know, the more, as with, with all these things, that sort of behavior gets pushed farther and farther down the line, um, you know, and, and, you know, in that area uh, where you're, they're being forced out, you know, their, their next stop is the next apartment block who the manager is, uh, lets them take advantage and then until they clear that one out and so on and so on until they're running out of places to go. And also, uh, it's working with the right uh, uh, counties or areas that have a uh, proactive police force and doing our due diligence. You, you can never really know exactly 100% what's going to be like on a property until you physically take over. But we do our due diligence. And one of the things that a lot of investors, for us, get really hung up on is uh, crime statistics. And they'll go on these crime websites and they'll see right away how much crime is in that area or whatever. And to me, that's not really a, a, a you know a true basis for judging the potential of the property or the area. Like we said, if there's a other you know redeeming things happening there, if there's you know we look at things like. Uh, uh, in our due diligence, well, what new businesses are coming into the area? Is there going to be some new areas for, you know, big job growth, new factories, new anything, or e- even down to like, oh, a Walmart superstore is going to be built, uh, you know, 10 minutes from here. That's a big indicator. Uh, you know, we don't have the, 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 pat, the, the, you know, muscle to, uh, uh, monetarily or otherwise to uh, do the demographics that these huge companies do. They're not coming in there unless they've got, uh, you know, they've got some uh, hardworking families to feed there uh, to build a Walmart superstore. So when I see one of those I, coming in, we're in the right area. Uh, that doesn't mean that that's going to take away all the crime in the whole area, but it just means that, you know, it's going to be catering for more working people and the other bad apples will just have to slowly be pushed out. And then the other thing we do is we always meet with the local police. So far, we've been really successful with that. Um, they, they seem to be very receptive to a new owner coming on. 
they seem to know, like the last one that, we're, that we just did um, in Jonesboro, a lot of crime, good property, you know, good price point, but, uh, you know, it was even more than we realized. I mean, it was like gunfights every day when we first took it over. Wow. Um, yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. It's all these, uh, you know, so-called gangs, reds and bloods, whatever the heck they are down there. Right. Crips. I don't know who the heck they are, but uh, they, uh, they really are, you know, just cause a lot of problems for people when they're mostly young. Do you make sure that when you go into, you know, you, you go into a new property and you go and meet with the local police, clearly that's not always going to be the uh, the fix, right? You, as you said, there's always going to be, there could always be an issue that, that, that pro, pro, you know, that the issue can still remain. You can't have got rid of the actual problem that maybe has shifted down the street. So what do you like to do with your property managers or your on-site team um, to instill a, uh, uh, you know, like that we won't take any crap uh, and that we won't, um, you know, we're not going to put up for that, but we also want to, you know, we want to show the tenants that you're actually trying to do good for them in the long run. So how, how do you how do you balance that? that? That's always a really tough one to, to to get your head around, particularly as an operator myself, but also then explaining that to your investors. Yeah, well, well, again, you know, we have a like for everything by now, a, a sort of a template plan. So when we come in, like I said, we've already spoken to police. We know what the story is. In the development, there's always a story. Um, the staff, we only hire staff management that knows how to deal with this type of people um, that potentially cause problems. Or even, unfortunately, the, some of the good ones still cause problems that are very loud and aggressive because they're not used to being actually treated that well in this demographic of property and other places. Um, so you get it from both sides. So you've got to have strong people that, that are managing properties for you. That's on site. That's the first thing. The second thing is, like I said, we've already been to police. We know we ask the right questions. We want to find out, do you know who's causing the trouble in this particular property? And they always know. They know they're, they're, they're gang force um, groups and things like that that are within the... Uh, in, in the department, and they know exactly which ones need to go. They're not allowed to just go in there without an owner, you know, helping out. So we, what we do is we hire them after hours as a group, um, and usually within a very short space of time, they they come in. Most of the properties that we've had, had this done on, they come in within two weeks, three weeks, uh, at, at night. You know, they know exactly who they're going after. Night goggles on, the whole thing. Uh, and slowly they just pluck the right ones out, blow them arrests, if if it's that bad, and the rest of them they tell us who to evict. And at the same time, part of our plan is we always, as soon as we take over property, we identify all the darkened areas where people can hide or do drugs. Uh, it's very easy to see where those are by you know, drug paraphernalia. Uh, we immediately put up uh, extra cameras uh, connected to the office and on the screens to those areas and floodlights. And it might not sound like a lot, but altogether, when you've got all of a sudden the police coming and harassing you because the new owner's taking over, uh, and you, uh, you've got some cameras where they used to hide and floodlights, uh, they start to, they're like rats. They just scamper and go find a new place. Right. It's not worth their hassle to stay there and get in trouble. Steve, you, you always and, talk uh, about... Yeah, it's a three-month process. Steve, when you we bring investors through and you talk about this topic, you know, you talk about securing the perimeter, the fence making sure that's the first thing. And then, you know, the looking for the drug paraphernalia, like you said, putting up the lights, the cameras, um, and then bringing in the police and then just kind of doing these sweeps. I mean, it, 
after the investors listen to you talk about this a couple of times and listen to the way that you run the system, it definitely, I mean, the first time I heard 19 shots fired, I was, I was, I was scared. But, um, after I listened to you, after, after I listened to you talk us through it a couple of times and the systems that you implement, I, I start to calm down. And then, you know, the other side is that you're giving 250 families a safe, clean, quiet place to live. And, and there's a side of that, that, Makes me feel good as an investor. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's that, that's the knock on from the doing that. You know what? Yes, we do carry on, and we need to do a sweep every once a quarter or whatever again, just to show that you know we're still here. If somebody, you know, the odd person moves in and their teenager happens to be in the gang, uh, you know. But aside from that, it's pretty much. Uh, you know, it's a, it's always something that you got to keep an eye on in general. But they change around so rapidly that once we start doing our 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 managers on site do their town hall meetings once a month and stuff. And when, when people start thanking you, we're thanking the manager for like, oh my God, I can't believe this is the same place. Uh, you know, it's, it feels good and you know you're doing the right thing. That's, that's, it's an incredible philosophy that you've gone into. I just want to quickly recap some of the, you know, because a lot of people out there listening would would want to know a little bit more, but it's you're doing sweeps, you're putting in cameras, you're talking with the local police and you're identifying the, the riffraff um, to then go in and, and, and make sure that they uh, are being weeded out. And as you said, they're like rats, they will scamper off to somewhere else. Um, but there's always a, a balance, right? You're trying to – so oh, sorry, a, a different train of thought, but I'll, but I'll get back to that one. When you're an, an analyzing a property like that and you're looking at the, the fact that there could be a large vacancy because you're going in and doing all this stuff, you're, you're rattling the cage, right? You're really, you're really getting everyone you know, amped up and whatever, and you're getting everyone out. So I, I take it that even, those people wouldn't even be paying in the first place. So it's not as if you're expecting them to be paying uh, rent and, and as such, does it mean that your vac- your economic vacancy, your physical vacancy does drop over the first, say, six months because you've gone in there to shake it all up? Sure. Well, that's, again, that's a, you know, there, there's a sort of, uh, you know, two sort of strategy way to look at that. I, I, we don't really buy stuff that's like totally, you know, down and wrecked kind of thing. Right. Um, it's just got, you know, we, because... We have investors, and obviously we want to keep everybody happy. Uh, you know, going into doing that, you start to get almost into the spec building type game where you know you lay that money and you don't see return for a certain time. But mm-hmm. what we do, which is which is really interesting to, well, to me, and, and I guess to other people, is that what I try to do is identify properties that have a good story. Why? whether it's off market or it is on market potentially and it has a problem, uh, but but we can actually still buy it. And we know there's loads of upside for doing what we just said, but it's already cash flowing, and it's not going to be a major, you know, uh, take down the occupancy too majorly. So, if we can get away with buying properties, and we get it just every time, just try to get it, so it'll scrape by on a on a Fannie Mae loan or something, you know, that's really cheap. So we got cheap money to begin with. Uh, it's already cash flowing. Yeah, we have to lower the delinquency a bit. It takes a few months to, to, you know, take care of that stuff. But we don't waste time. What we do is, uh, that's what I was just telling you, uh, it was kind of a two-phase approach. So, well, one side of the step was dealing with all this um, crime, dealing with the police, you know, making that all happen pretty quick. I mean, as I said, it's not a, not a, it's not a, a one-day fix. You know, it's, it's a three-month effort. But if someone's concentrating on that, and then at the same time, you've got your manpower and your capital in place to do the other stuff. We don't wait for that. We start fixing things, doing deferred maintenance, 
upgrading units that were going to raise rents on or, you know, on a secondary track running alongside that. So, um, you know, we're not wasting time here. So by the time we're doing maybe three waves of evictions over three months, we're, by that time we've also had a lot of new tenants starting to dare to come in to see what's going on with the new new management. We might not raise the rents too much yet, but we'll get new people in because at least they want to come see what's up. Do you do you focus a lot on tenant appreciation once you have transitioned that property? You know, talking about doing maybe a, ten, you know, a tenant barbecue in the summer, trying to really show the tenants that they, they're living in a better place now and, and then that they should be taking, wanting to take care of the property. Do you have much focus on that at all? Absolutely. That is the other side of the, uh, you know, keeping everybody happy and, you know, tenant retention, which is, mm-hmm. you know, about as good as it gets in the, you know, landlord income, uh, not having to turn units uh, and have renewals. So we always do that. And, it, and this is another, another thing that, you know, I might have this idea and think it's great, but it has to filter down your whole chain of command to your people on site. So, you know, I've got like my director of operations who runs the actual management company. She is in turn works with all our regional managers. The regional managers are in charge of hiring the staff uh, on site. So, you know, everybody's got to be on the same page. And that's something that's still, you know, new to us as we're growing our management. But uh, it is with that uh, philosophy in mind that everybody knows, you know, when, when they're coming to work here that this is what we're trying to do. Uh, and most of them have always been like that. They'd like to come to work. They, they don't you know, five people that they don't mind coming to that kind of property, they actually like it. And they do put on these things for, we do things, you know, for kids, we, uh, at the beginning of the school year, we gave them away from backpacks, pulled from school supplies, um, do the, do the, you know, we've got the Thanksgiving turkey giveaway coming up, and, you know, always, um, yep. it's what you gotta do. Hey, Steve. Uh, you you always talk about how important amenities are in improving the property. Is that's part of that's part of the the retention, right? That's part of making it better. Yes, I think again within this within this sort of space, you know, we're talking about you know essentially these all the properties, and a lot of people just seem to you know treat them in a way that you know they don't deserve to spend any extra money. Well, in reality. Uh, it, you know, I think it's it's a matter of seeing what facilities your competition has, and if there is a chance to do that little bit better. You know, that's the way I always see it. What can I do on a reasonable budget for that particular property that can make a bit of a splash and make someone want to come live there? And as a matter of fact, this one that we're just buying in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, it just happened to have a 16-unit uh, building burned down which is quite a substantial rectangular area, happened to be uh, in a nice place though, uh, with the lake behind it and right alongside the office building, which is the original plantation house. So it's, it's really a, a big site. So you can't rebuild it because it's just not, not economically viable. We're not paying for it because we're buying it less 16 units. But what a great space. Right away, my mind was like, all right, let's get the, uh, you know, uh, exterior designer in here and make this into something amazing. And we put like a hundred thousand budget there. And think, well, but how much does that get back on the rent? Uh, well, it doesn't always work like that. We're going to have a, it's cut, in, cut into three spots. We're doing, having a plan made. It's going to be a really cool playground, a little picnic area. And the end, have like a, 
Yeah, the um, the, the the inside sort of um, uh, not gazebo, but um, oh, you've got me thinking about it now. But there's a, a covered area for people to go and sit and you know have a barbecue and, and something like that. Yeah, big covered pitch roof, and uh, and I just think spending that hundred grand is worth every penny because when someone drives into that property now and gets out by the office, they're going to look over there. It's going to look like they've got a piece of park in there, you know, and that's worth that's worth more than. You know, a few bucks on the rent. Steve, tell me a little bit about from your side, being the investor, being the, the the attractor of capital to these types of deals. I'm sure there's been a lot of, you know, that sort of, oh gosh, you know, 16 gunshots and oh, that sounds rough. Uh, how, how have you gone about getting your mindset around exactly what Steve was saying was like the, the high crime. They look at the, these statistical websites and think, oh gosh, it's in the red zone on Trulia. I don't want to invest in that. My money's not safe. So how did you mentally get your money around that, uh, sorry, not your money, your, your mind around that, um, Ben? Well, I, I try not to, you know, dwell on that, of course. I mean, we don't, like I said, we're not going to the worst places because I know that people just, there's only sort of people who invest, you know, if it's like, you know, I'm not going to convince someone to let me take over a property that uh, the whole entire place is a gang war. Um, so, you know, I'm not that crazy. I have my limits. Uh, you know, but most people do get like that. I've had from the very beginning, you know, when I, I get like the odd investors, they want to come down. I'm always open to, you know, taking that uh, and, and his brother Max bringing, you know, bringing over van loads of uh, tenants to like, let's uh, go do the, uh, you know, I think we do the only uh, uh, tourist show here of sea um, properties in South Atlanta. And I don't think you could find that if you wanted to. So <laughs> that was the their invention. So uh, I, if anybody wants to see properties in South Atlanta, just call up the t- our service. <laughs> Reed, I think. Uh, um, but yeah. When you know, when like Steve's saying, you know, we bring investors down to Atlanta and meet with Steve, and as Steve talks through his systems and his policies. That's where you start to find comfort in it because, yeah, you're, you are. You're scared when you hear that as an investor and when you're talking to capital. But when you hear the systems in place and how he goes about it and he partners with the police, um, you know, coming in at night, cops out of uniform, night night goggles, making arrests, cleaning up the property. It really is a system that, that he knows how to run, Steve does, and he runs it when he has to. Um, great relationships with the police, great relationships with the staff. And you hear the, the, the staff talk and they're so happy to have an owner that's supporting them. You know, a tenant calls up and says a washer, uh, you know, their washer is broken and the maintenance tech actually shows up to fix it the next day and they don't know what to do. They're like, why are you knocking on my door? Well, you called, you said you had a, a broken washer. That kind of change and support for the staff is so drastic that it puts a different tone on the staff, on the tenants. And when we tour that and when we talk to those managers, it's, it's one of the feel-good moments. It, it does. It, it's, it's cool. I mean, the maintenance tech at one of the properties and the manager stayed an hour and a half after hours to talk to four investors, and they would not stop because they were excited to have the support. And it really... It, it showed. It was just, I don't know, it was surprising and, um, you know, it was a cool moment. So that's the, those are the things that make you go with this people, with the staff, with the systems, with the support, we can get through this. And, and Steve knows how to get these systems done. So 
it's been actually a, a highlight. The stats are is really important. And, you know, sometimes there is a bit of chopping and changing until you get the right ones. But um, in general, as as uh, as you just said, uh, you know, I, I'm just totally transparent. Bring people down. They can talk to whoever they want, and uh, they'll tell them what, how hard it is to run these kind of properties and how, you know, how we broke through this and that. And uh, people are really they're more impressed talking to the staff. <laughs> and talk talk a little bit about your staff because. I could imagine, you know, having a you said strong staff on site. Uh, I don't want to be be gender specific, but in a rougher building, is it better to have male staff than female staff, or is it better to have that soft approach, um, understanding approach, rather than the this is how it's going to be done? You got to pay your rent on time. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I would say I've never thought about it from a gender perspective of either one. It's always just been down to the people that you're that are applying or interviews. So right. I, I don't necessarily think that uh, uh, makes a difference. I think it's all down to the person. Like um, uh, Ben mentioned before about social worker, where there wasn't kidding. The one guy who cleaned up all the crime on, uh, on that property, the uh, first one I was telling you about, was a social worker, <laughs> but also a property manager. And right. uh, that's the, that's how he treated the tenants. Right. So you know he wouldn't go out and start. Uh, there'd be like a gang of kids out, you know, young kids outside, loitering around, causing trouble in front of the office building, stuff like that. Well, he doesn't go out there and chase them away and yell at them. His idea was he went out, got them all together. They thought they were in trouble, and bought them all ice cream from the ice cream truck. And just just showing you're showing that someone cares, right? Yeah, and saying. Hey guys, come on, you know, no, no, have an ice cream. What are you guys up to? What are you doing? You know, you don't need to do this. Why don't you guys go play some ball over there, you know? And really, uh, you know, hoping that he, he was making a difference. That's incredible. So, you know, sometimes that helps. And, uh, and and it's the same with, you know, a lot of other managers. We have a different manager there now. He sort of, you know, went through his phase, did his thing. And now we have another manager there who's a woman. and But she's taking it over from a different angle now and, you know, but much more economical. I know he's done that part of it. She's got it's already in line, and she's a, was a little bit uh, more proficient at the actual, you know, operations numbers, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of times, different people come and go and serve their their purpose uh, at the time and what their strong points are. But you gotta have people who can hack it. Um, sometimes people do leave. It's just like. I'm not coming to work scared every day, but then I had investors like that too. That's the same thing. I brought investors, as we were talking about, a good few times over the last couple of years, and I'll say, hey, we're buying this property. It's really great. It's a great deal. Blah, blah, blah. Tell them my vision. And they're like, I'm not walking in there. I'm like, why? And they're like, well, I don't think that looks like a good idea. And I'm like, what do you want, a bulletproof vest? Do you have one? Uh, no, uh, and this has happened a few times, I have to say. And I'm like, come on, and we just walk straight in down the road there. Yeah, there's a bunch of gangs, people loitering, or whatever you want to call them. They're not. They're not. What are they going to do? You know, right. the police will be there in five minutes. And the, and the outreach to the local community, um, I'm assuming that's a major part of your strategy to, to turn these properties around. So I, I heard you mention earlier in the piece that you have your property managers attend the local community uh, meetings or, or, or monthly meetings. Is that something that you try to get every every property manager to do? Yep, we try to get anything that's, uh, you know, 
local community involvement is usually the housing office has uh, uh, for the Anthem County or, or city uh, has uh, something every couple of weeks and um, uh, there's, uh, you know, whatever other local things are on, whether it's even, you know, down to the local churches, whatever. We just try to make it, we, it's a, it's an outreach more than finding tenants of just showing us, showing our community as community friendly. Right. Um, we try to hand out stuff, you know, you know, I know it's a part of a business thing too, but offering discounts or whatever, if you come this week from the church or whatever, you know, but, but it also shows that you're trying to get good people in your property and, you know, stuff like that. We do, we try to get like um, any of the, the very, very local shops and vendors to um, offer some sort of discount that we can give some cards out to our tenants. Steve, trying to track the, 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 the local business growth, right? Is that what you're trying to say with the, with the, the discount cards? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly that. It, it makes everybody feel good, and it just like I said, it it just makes the you know gels the community a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. These are all easy things. To, these are easy things to say, by the way, but it does take time. <laughs> It, I, I'm sure it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time, a lot of legwork, and and I do appreciate uh, you giving us the insight. I, I look, I know you guys, uh, your time is valuable, and I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much more of it. Um, but Ben, I want to hear a little bit more from you uh, on the 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 investor side and how you like to, because it just it's so it'd be so mental blocking that someone would be like, I can't, like as, as Steve just said, I can't walk into that property. I don't want to do it. And there'd be, it has to be the right type of investor, I would assume, that comes involved in these deals. Is that correct? Absolutely. But I don't think, you know, there are a couple properties that Steve has dealt with where he's really had to dive deep on this type of thing and run these systems. But the typical property that he is buying, you know, in a C-class, you know, it's at 84% occupancy. And in six weeks, he's got it at 95% with his new manager. So they're not all um, this kind of rough and tough um, properties. A lot of them are safe um, and quiet and good assets. They're not being run efficiently, right, before he buys them with the manager. But Steve couples both sides, right? He's got the upside of the, the neighborhood cleaning up the tenant base, the managers. But then he also has a list of value plays, everything from, you know, a previous owner put in, new water meters and that hasn't filtered through. So he's able to take the entire amount of water and transfer it over to the, the, that cost transferred over to the tenant. So he's, he finds other ways to make the NOI more efficient, right? Decreasing expenses, increasing rents, but really in that beginning, it's, it's that combination, right? You're doing all these things at the same time. That combination brings a great upside to an investor and a staff and just a good group, a good good team makes it all work. Well, guys, it sounds like you have an incredible system going on. Ben, on your side, you know, making sure the investors getting into these deals and educating them on the, the benefits of, of investing in, in a little bit of a lower class uh, community. And Steve, you being on the boots on the ground, man, he's getting it done and you know, getting your systems in place and, and, and really making that community feel, which I can really hear from your voice and the sincerity in which you're trying to create these clean, safe, affordable housing projects um, and being profitable at the same time. Like, let's not forget this is a business. Uh, you're not, you know, it's not, not just a charity uh, and, and you're doing it to, to, to make good cash flow for you, for your investors but 
in saying that, it sounds like you're juggling a lot of balls because you've got the, the on the one hand, you're trying to persuade the, the investor that you're, 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 you're getting involved in a good property. On the other hand, you're trying to persuade the tenants that you're actually trying to do good by them and you're trying to get rid of the refraff. So there's this whole sort of, you know, colliding of ideas and, and, and challenges, I could imagine, that would then come to the forefront that makes you, you know, the right man to do it. So, uh, so, so well, well done. Um, I do want to end the show with, um, I always like to ask my, my guests uh, to give me their top five investing tips. And, and they're, they're, they're pretty straightforward. They're just top five questions um, that I like to get them to ask. So are you guys ready to dive into it? Absolutely. All right, Steve, I'll start with you, mate. Um, what is a daily habit that you keep or you practice to keep on track towards your investing goals, whether it be you know checking with your property managers, whether it be doing a, a look over your P&L sheet? Is there, a, is there a daily habit that you do? Uh, well, I guess uh, yeah, a lot of habits, but the first thing in the morning, as soon as I sit down, go through the emails, weed out anything urgent to do with the uh, specific properties first. Uh, you know, uh, it needs to be dealt with immediately, and then uh, just break it down into tiers of uh, what's the most important things throughout the day to deal with, and just to sort of make my schedule for the day uh, and make sure I can fit everything in the right place. What about you, Ben? Um, I have a daily call with my brother Max that we break down our priorities and our problems that we're focused on, and that continually um, reorganizing uh, for the next day in the next week, in the next project. So that's that's the daily habit we practice. Nice. It's been great for us. Uh, Steve, who has been the most influential person in your career to date? Well, I'm going to say, I, I really can't say anyone else, uh, my original, I guess you'd say, mentor, Graham McDonald, who I met in uh, living in the UK uh, when I was uh, struggling to get more into development and stuff, came as far as you can go as an amateur, uh, ran into, I won't give you the whole story, but ran into it by accident at a project that was for sale. Never met him before in my life. Uh, started chatting away to me, took my card, called me up a few days later and said, uh, you know, asked me some questions. Very clever guy. He asked me some questions. Said, you know, would you have really been able to buy that project? Or, I was like, well, no, but I'd like to go look and you know, try to teach myself. He goes, oh, I think you should come into our office next week and uh, have a chat with us, with me and my partner. Okay? This is like in the late 90s. So I did. You know, back then I was, uh, yeah, it, uh, probably a little bit more attitude. Uh, <laughs> not exactly wearing a suit or anything. Anyway, I wind up at this big corporate office in, in London. And I'm thinking, what the heck? So uh, I sit down with this guy and his partner and they're, boardroom and they just start firing questions at me like, you know, why do you like this? What do you do? What do you, what do you want to do? What kind of properties do you look at? And I just was like, yeah, told them everything where I wanted to be. And, uh, and my, my old funny line, and this is the truth, they, they said, do you, do you want to work for us? And uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking, so I'm, I'm thinking, uh, and I said, well, what, what would I do? And, and this is the truth. They looked at each other, turned and looked at each other, and they both looked at me at the same time and said, <laughs> we don't know. That's awesome. And then it was a kind of like movie thing, like, all right, buy, buy yourself a suitcase <laughs> coming on Monday. <laughs> and and, and, I talk, and I, he's retired now. He's got the Midas touch. 
Solvo has shares of his own company at the height of the market. They're actually still a public company over there. And uh, I still nice. boost him to this day. And the more stories I tell him later on in these days about what I do, and, I, and he goes, wow, that's amazing. You know, some document. And, he, and I said, but I learned it from you. Like, <laughs> nice, man. And you, nice, man. retired for so many years, man. Uh, and Ben, who, who is your most influential person in your career? Um, probably my brother, Max. He's always kept me on track. Those conversations, you know, I mean, we've been doing single family and multifamily, like four plexes and three triplexes since him since 96, me since 2006. So that's probably been the, the person I've always um, batted things around off of. And we've worked together as a team. It's been a, a good partnership. What is the most influential tool in your business to date that you use? Is it your cell phone? Is it some sort of, um, you know, some, some product that you use that he, helps you keep on, on track to the, towards those goals? I, did. I said it was whiskey, but it was It's hard to come around here. But uh, no, uh, I'm not the most technical guy, although I've rapidly had to become. But I'd say my phone. My phone is always attached to my head. Right. <laughs> Good stuff. And what about you, Ben? What's the most influential tool in your business? Um, we use a database to track our relationships and to keep track of people. And that's been, I mean, it basically generates lists. And um, really, it's the people and the connections. So that, that tool, that database is, is probably our most uh, influential tool. Uh, guys, I know this could, we, could, we could talk about this next question for a long time, but I, I know you probably have uh, better things to do. But what's been the biggest failure in your career to date, and what did you both learn? Well, um, I mean, there's not been any big failures except just being too aggressive and trying to take on too much at once. And, uh, you know, although, you know, fingers crossed, they, they all did sort themselves out. I put my, myself under tremendous stress to get deals closed that, uh, yeah, I wish I didn't put myself through. Okay, well, uh, now I can say, yeah, I'm glad I did it because I, I wanted to get where I was rapidly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I really pushed myself to the limit mentally to uh, get through some of the bigger deals that I just wasn't prepared for um, as far as raising the funds and, uh, and, and just getting it all together on, on, on time. But it happened. Um, I just, you know, got a face fax, probably lost a few years of my life down the line. But, hey. You learn, you live and learn to fight another day. What about you, uh, Ben? What, what's the, being the biggest failure? You know, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, buying in, um, you know, we invested in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it, at a time where, you know, 2006, 2007, and then the crash, and a lot of our assets lost a lot of value. And I think... It was hard to see, um, you know, it's time that the asset wasn't going to do as well as it's going to do somewhere else. And to make that call and go, okay, this probably wasn't, it was, it was a great play. It got us in the game. It was a lot of learning, a lot of great experience, but it wasn't the kind of returns that are going to take your business to the next level. And just kind of sifting through that and saying, okay, it's time to say, um, it's time to move on and it's time to sell these assets, even though they're not at the prices that we bought them, you know, 10 years ago. Let's move on. Let's move forward. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important to understand when you've got to cut your losses and move on to the next thing in your life, right? So uh, always a hard lesson to, to learn and, and, and swallow, but uh, well done that you got through it. 
Guys, last question is, where can people reach you? I'm sure there's a lot of questions that they're going to have. They want to find out more about turning Class C properties into gold mines. Um, Steve, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Anybody can always go to our website, uh, which is just uh, crownbankgroup.com. Uh, we've got loads of good information on there about how to invest in the deals as far as from the investor document side and all that. Um, and then we also have uh, some other information from, you know, whether it's webinars or uh, uh, information about deals that are coming up. As a matter of fact, if, they, if you sign up on there, then you'll right away automatically be on our database. And we can send you, not that we don't bombard anybody with anything, so don't worry, but uh, we'll send out the on newsletter, tidbit of information, or a deal that is coming up uh, that people can have a look at to uh, potentially invest in. So the website's the easiest one. Uh, you can always get in touch with us through Ben um, Max anytime. Um, there's sort of uh, also, you know, a big, a big part of our investor side. Uh, and uh, taking care of all that kind of stuff. Ben, what about uh, that's it? What, what ben, about yourself, Ben? What, what about yourself, Ben? Um, I just want to say, Steve did redid his website, CrownBayGroup.com. It's beautiful. It, it's a great site. Um, you can sign up there. You can reach um, uh, Max or myself at MultifamilyGeeks.com. Um, I'm sorry, MultifamilyGeeks.com is our website. Uh, just email me, MultifamilyGeeks at gmail.com. That's uh, the email. So that will go straight to us, and we can help you out with any of Steve's projects um, that we're raising for right now that he's got going on. So thank you so much, Reed, for the opportunity um, to be on your show. Always uh, love the content that you're putting out there in kind of a straightforward way. So thank you for letting us be a part of that. Hey, guys, my pleasure. I want to do thank you both for providing some cracking advice. And I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I took away today. You know, having great property managers, uh, understanding the nuts and bolts of how Steve goes about, you know, transitioning properties, doing the raids, uh, putting up, uh, securing the perimeter, putting up uh, uh, cameras, and really just understanding that you're, you know, you, you talk to the local police and understanding who who needs to be get get rid of and, and then target those guys to get, get them out of the property. Uh, but then also creating that community feel, uh, getting tenant and the tenant appreciation has been really powerful. And I think something that came across and when you're talking, Steve, um, but it, but in general, I think it's the way that which you want to do generally help people uh, create affordable, clean, safe um, places to live. So I think it's very, very well done. Did I leave anything out, guys? Got it. Good cool. job, Reed. Yep, sounds good. And uh, again, as, as um, Ben said, I appreciate you having us very much. Well, got, well, lads, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed full of some awesome investing advice and actionable steps. There were some huge takeaway golden nuggets. Make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with the boys. Uh, and any links we did mention will be up on my website at readgoosens.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as it's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Happy investing.